And, well, uh, it is actually Monday. Clown horn noise, clown horn noise, Wait, clown wait, wait, no, 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 We have to restart this recording because I... No, no, clown horn noise, clown horn noise, clown horn noise. No, 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 Yeah, it's a staple of the series. It is so, it is so, it is so You can't argue the man-made twerk. All right, but here's the thing, though. What we have now is a Monday recap. I hate you. I don't know. I don't know if you heard that. I hope it went through. It's very faint. Okay, whatever. It's all good. Um, this intro has been going on for too long, and welcome to another episode of the Two Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Amen. And I'm your other co-host, Ari Jesselson. Uh, it is Monday night over here, uh, a little bit uh, before 3 p.m. Uh, over on the East Coast, and it's time to actually have a Monday recap. Yes, and it's finally Monday where we're doing this. I feel like so many of these episodes have been Tuesdays. Yeah, and the one time... Yeah, and the one time we do a Monday, I forget my clown horn across the world in a different continent. Yeah, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. Just like there's nothing we can do about errors and omissions from last week. And we missed a big one. So, uh, oopsie daisies. We're sorry. But, yeah, we, we, talk, we talk about how we, how we really want to give hockey... A lot of love, and then miss uh, miss the trade deadline. And while we there are a lot of a lot of minor sort of wheeling and dealing that different different te- uh, move different moves different teams have made. I think the biggest one far and away uh, has been former Hart Trophy winner Taylor Hall finally being traded from the Buffalo Sabers in division to the Boston Bruins. Yeah, and um, if I could just open up my notes quickly. I'm sorry, uh, Taylor Hall and Curtis Laser will go to Boston, and Buffalo receives Andrew Bjork and a 2021 second-round pick. Obviously, it's Taylor Hall. You know, I feel like you, you can't really get that much for him in a good... No, he's a great player. That's why I feel like there's not much you could get for him that will make it seem like, yeah, this is a fair side of trade, or, oh, yeah, uh, Boston definitely definitely lost the trade. You know, he's a, he's a former hard trophy. He still has a lot in the tank. And I don't know, I feel like, Buffalo, come on. You, you have a lot of fans disappointed in you. This is not the way you wanted to go. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is just the Sabres' hands were absolutely tied. They needed to uh, trade him away for as much value as possible. I guess this was it. Um, but at least as far as for, for the Bruins, this has absolutely been paying dividends. Just in the first week, uh, they've played four games since acquiring him. Uh, they've won all four of them. Uh, they've won all four of them, and these haven't been against some bad teams. Yes, the first one was an overtime win against uh, as a revenge game against uh, the Sabers, but uh, the next three, two of them were against the Islanders. One of them were against the Capitals. Uh, both of them are the top two teams in the East, and all three of those wins have been in regulation. Uh, another thing, as far as Wood Hall has been contributing, um, in just those four games, he scored two goals. Uh, in his time with the Sabres this season, he scored two goals. So he's uh, really, really making an instant impact uh, to this Bruins team. And in a very tight East division, where I think like uh, the Bruins right now are, are six points behind, uh, behind first place in the division, which is Capitals at the time. But they've also played three less games, so they could technically, a three-game win streak uh, could tie themselves up uh, for, for, the, uh, for the top spot uh, in the East. So really, I think uh, when you look at like sort of past years, that there are a lot of different uh, times where where 
a team can completely overhaul themselves mid-season. You look at the St. Louis Blues in 2019, the Dallas Stars 2020. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe the Bruins may be that team uh, this year that could that could take themselves all the way to the Cup. Yeah, and it definitely feels like this. I mean, this Taylor Hall acquisition, that's the right word. I, I feel like every time I pronounce a word correctly, we need like a siren to play, you know? Yeah, you didn't pronounce that correctly. God fucking damn it. But whatever. <laughs> uh, point still stands. And, but... It really paid off for the Bruins. I mean, there's no denying that. And we, we obviously, all of us know that, yeah, the Sabres are a broken team, to say the least, both in the insides and the outs. So, obviously, this is major for Taylor Hall as a player, just to finally uh, let, his, let his wings flap and fly like a bird. I only fly away. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But no, this is big for Boston and Taylor Hall. Obviously... With, with Taylor Hall to succeed, Boston's going to succeed, and I don't like Boston, but they're going to go far. This was a great acquisition. This was a great pickup for them. That really, did, that really wasn't for a lot, you know. We've seen like a lot of stars get traded in the past, and they have to give a lot of key assets, a lot of big assets. But here, it really didn't seem like that. Yeah, I guess not. Um, let's uh, let's actually go now to some news from this week, and while. Uh, we know. I don't even think we've covered soccer once uh, at all uh, these past however many months. Uh, there's some very big news that was coming out um, uh, over the weekend. Uh, the twelve different uh, teams from the European sort of Power Five, actually three of the Power Five, from uh, six teams from the Premier League uh, in in Great Britain, three teams from La Liga in Spain, and three teams from Serie A in Italy. Um, are forming uh, a Super League. Those teams, let me just list them off right now, from, uh, from the Premier League, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Man United, and Tottenham. Uh, from, uh, from La Liga, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, and Real Madrid. Uh, and from uh, Serie A, AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus. Yeah, and obviously, those are big names. You don't have to be a soccer fan to know half of that list is very good. Or just some of the best clubs, maybe even the world. You don't have to be a soccer fan just to know that. The thing is, there's a lot of controversy around this league. Yeah, um, just just some some background on sort of what the league uh, is at. Um, the the I don't really know what sort of uh, I, the, I mean the sort of code name I guess has been Super League. Um, sort of there've been there's been sort of talk from uh, uh, for a while now on a Super League. I think like I do remember a couple months ago FIFA saying something uh, against it. We'll we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, sort of. Uh, the league is sort of just these 12 teams. They're going to start, um, I guess, sort of their, uh, their season, uh, and I quote, intended to commence as soon as is practicable. Um, so we don't really have a timetable on it. But uh, I, for one, as someone, again, who, like, from the States, I know the culture is a lot different than in Europe. But we sort of do take for granted that as much as we want to point out, like, the disparity between, uh, between teams like, say, like, the, the Bruins and the Sabres, um, but, uh, but the fact that we have, like, all of the best teams in the world, pretty much, that play against each other every season, and we just, you just don't get that in soccer. Like, when you, when you think of, like, can, when you think of, like, the, the 12 best teams each year, and I know these 12 aren't always going to be the 12 best, but, uh, but these are consistent, consistently 12 of the best, and really, aside from the Champions League, which... Really, it, you don't play everyone. You don't really play, like, anyone. I mean, just the group stage and then just a, sim- a single elimination tournament. 
Um, so I feel like it's going to be nice to see sort of more of these powerhouse uh, matchups happening uh, more, fre- fre- more frequently and giving us sort of a, a better sense uh, in the soccer world of like, well, who really is the best team? Because there's one thing to, again, win the Champions League. But that's really all it is, is, ju- is just that, that tournament that like you don't, you don't have a regular season there where you, where you face each other. And it's kind of like um, sort of like the, the pandemic seasons you have with the MLB where, uh, and the NHL where it's sort of like all like geographic until the playoffs. But even then, like the, the seeding and who makes the playoffs, that can be a little bit uh, up for debate. Yeah, and not only are these 12 of the best teams, but these are 12 of the most marketable teams. I mean, go to anyone on the street in any country. They're obviously going to know Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Barcelona, Real Madrid. They're always going to know those teams. And even the rest, you could go to a somewhat soccer fan, and they'll probably name all of those 12 teams. They're obviously a big market. But on paper, this does seem like a pretty good idea. I mean, having the 12 best and most profitable teams under one league, sign me up, you know what I mean? But in actual practice, from what we're hearing now, it's not sounding good at all. Yeah, no, of course. There, there, there's been a lot of backlash, uh, primarily from, um, from FIFA, uh, who is against this deal. Of course, that uh, uh, that that really like uh, has the I mean, wants to keep the structure that uh, that FIFA and, and uh, UEFA uh, currently have with sort of the uh, domestic leagues. Um, that and while I'm sure that that truthfully, if they were able to like open themselves up to the idea, you could still probably fit in into the soccer schedule some sort of like domestic, oh, British Cup, Spanish Cup, Italian Cup, um, within within that season if they were willing to open um, up. But I but I digress. That um, that these these teams uh, will not be allowed to play um, in their in their current domestic league. Will not be allowed to play. Uh, in the uh, in the UEFA Champions League, um, and if I'm not mistaken, the players on these on these clubs will not be allowed to participate in, in any uh, FIFA or UEFA uh, events, including uh, the World Cup. Yeah, and just to quote the UEFA president Alexander uh, Seferin, quote: "Players that will play in the Super League will, will be banned from the Euros and World Cup." Yeah, and of course, um, of course, because of, I'm sure because of this. Um, not all, uh, even of the, of the sort of big five uh, leagues there, um, are are participating in this. Uh, two of the biggest clubs in in the German Bundesliga, uh, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, uh, uh, have released a joint, a, joint, a joint statement saying that they are opposed to this idea, uh, and they will not join. Yeah. Uh, we haven't also heard anything from uh, from uh, the French uh, League One. Uh, saying that any any of their teams, uh, not even uh, Paris Saint Germain, probably uh, one of like up there in terms of marketable teams, um, they haven't said anything about joining. Yeah, and we actually did hear a player say something. Andre Herrera said, "Quote: I love football, and I cannot remain silent about this. I believe in an improved Champions League, but not in the rich stealing what the people created." Obviously, there's more quotes about him saying how flawed the Super League is, how you're taking away from the fans. There's another quote that says. Uh, Quote, I fell in love I fell in love with football, with the football of the fans, with the dream of seeing the seeing the team of my heart compete with the great greatest teams. If this European Super League advances, those dreams are over. And while I while I do understand that, I again look to just if if the the sort of 
it seems like a pretty all or nothing sort of situation here where the the league sort of are saying that this goes entirely against the culture of soccer and while I don't know what the culture of soccer or uh, or football uh, is um, what I can say is that I don't think it would be too like crazy to suggest that like is it too much to ask that like if you could embrace this idea and just have like an actual like European top flight league because you have you have in domestic leagues like the systems of you have the Premier League and then the league that's directly under it and you have uh, ways to get relegated and promote it and I feel like you you could have uh, the same sort of layers to that um, just sort of with actually like the best of the best, the second best, like, and just actually, like, have teams play against um, their competition level all season so that you don't sort of see um, that, like, I'm sure, like, most Liverpool or Man City, like, uh, like Premier League games probably aren't that interesting to watch because they're, they're facing, like, Norwich or, or, or Sheffield or teams that I've only heard of because my brother watches Premier League games every single Sunday morning. Yeah, and none, none of us are big football fans, so we don't really know about the culture. If you are a fan, though, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this in the comments. Uh, but I think the big culture of football is that any team could compete with anyone, you know? You could have this no-name team, probably only has a 1,000 people in the, in, the, in the town, and they could still compete with one of these bigger teams like Barcelona or something like that. By stripping that away, you're kind of having this idea. It's kind of the idea of the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, as the as the bigger teams get to play with the bigger teams and the other teams don't have that marketing saying, hey, we're playing against Barcelona. Think about like how D3, D3 schools, I guess it would be like how D3 schools, like they get to play Alabama sometimes or Clemson. That brings more advertisement in a way for them. Taking that away, would you rather watch like Appalachian State versus Michigan or uh, Appalachian State versus uh, Alabama or just like Appalachian State versus Ithaca, you know? I feel like that's the big idea, but again, we're not soccer fans, so we really don't know as much. Again, that idea, though, kind of, like, of the, of the rich get richer, like, there, I don't even think, has been any sort of, uh, of talk about, like, uh, any limit to sort of how teams uh, spend, so where it's, sort of like, where it's sort of like baseball, where it's sort of like just the big spenders um, get more. Well, how do you get uh, big spending? You generate revenue. What are the teams that generate the most revenue? The teams that are already good. And while I can understand that sort of, like, that, yes, the, those sort of... Uh, there's sort of lesser like teams that are still in the top flight of their domestic league can say, oh yeah, we're facing Liverpool, we're facing Dortmund, we're facing whoever. Um, I'm sure can get that. Um, there is also, again, something to be said that a team can make their way from sort of like the third or fourth flight league um, and over the year build, build a culture, um, sort of uh, get their, make their way up to the top. Um, and, and you do still have like under, underdog stories even in those top flight leagues. Look at uh, Leicester City uh, a few years back. And I feel like that that while I can understand how how it can be hard to happen, um, I would say when it actually does happen, and of course it's sports, it it, it will happen eventually. Um, it will be all the, all so much more uh, re uh, rewarding and exciting to see. Yeah, and obviously this might just be one of those things that just you know people forget time time forgets about it. It's gonna be super cool in a week or two. But I just think there's just something about it that doesn't sit right with me. Maybe that will change when more facts come in. Maybe when we actually get more. More just facts. I mean, this thing started, what, over the weekend? We, we barely know anything about this league. But as of now, I'm still kind of iffy about it. Yeah. I just do want to put in one final, one final thought um, for anyone who uh, wants to make an argument that, uh, that travel would be an issue. 
Um, just let me... The, the, the two furthest cities away, if I'm not mistaken, um, within the sort of 12 teams in the Super League are Manchester uh, and, uh, and Madrid. Actually, two teams in each, uh, in each city. Uh, but the distance between Manchester and Madrid uh, is a little bit, uh, a little bit under uh, 1,300 miles, which is the sa- about the same distance uh, between Miami and Boston. So if Miami can play teams like all the way over uh, in, in the West Coast in, in, in American leagues, it's probably like, I don't even know, like probably double the distance or something, um, then, then this can most definitely happen. It definitely could happen. I think we still need some more facts to see what it will. But as of now, at least for me, it doesn't sit right with me fully. Maybe when facts, more facts come in, maybe that will change. But let's move yeah. to a I real was, sport. Yeah. Whoa. No, I'm I was about to say how this is like, this could actually be like very uh, sort of exci- exciting to uh, to see and like actually like have like, oh, every game is actually um, uh, uh, an exciting matchup and like, the, the same the same sort of same sort of level sort of intensity as like maybe even the uh, as the the NFL like even more so now that you only have twelve teams and the the parity within them you could say is is even is even more that yeah no and again these are the twelve best and twelve most marketable teams all twelve, 12 of the of course yeah twelve of the most marketable and twelve of the best teams so it really is going to be fun to see what is going to happen. All right, but as you were saying with uh, with another sport, yeah, let's move on to a real sport this time. Cricket. No, um, um, I'll give you a sport similar to cricket, uh, baseball. Uh, we have led off with a no Wait, wait, wait. I'm what? sorry. Just before, I respect cricket, and I did play soccer. It's all a joke. Okay. Um, but uh, we, we talked about a no-hitter last week. Um, little did we know that uh, Carlos Rodon uh, would come up and, and, uh, and throw one. Uh, this was Wednesday night, I want to say. I believe it was. Uh, against uh, against Cleveland, mm. uh, 114 pitches, and like Musgroves, uh, it actually would have been perfect uh, had it not been for one uh, hit by pitch. That hit by pitch, by the way, came uh, only in the ninth inning. Um, by the way, it just also in the in that ninth inning was an incredible play by Jose Abreu uh, to keep the no hitter and then perfect game alive. Yeah. Um, so man, if you just if you haven't looked at that play, just just look at that. Um, but, uh, but Rodon, I mean, just a little bit about his story, because it is, it is uh, very interesting for those of you who don't know. In 2014, he was the third overall pick in the draft, um, worked his way up, of course, uh, to the majors, and had a lot of setback, different setbacks with, uh, uh, with injuries. I believe he needed Tommy John at one point. Um, and, of course, uh, just being able to actually finally like, fully like, break out, throw an no-hitter. Um, why I should have brought a hat again so that it can go off to Carlos Rodon. Yeah, just an incredible story. Seems like an incredible guy. And just congratulations to him. You know, there's not more you can just say about it. It's always great to see a no-pitcher. Uh, a perfect... A no-hitter. Not a no-pitcher. There I go. <laughs> and, but it's always just great to see that. And my hat, goes, my hat goes off to him. Uh, that, that is smart of you for... <laughs> having my hat. Yeah, but I just picked my water bottle. Yeah. That's just annoying. Okay. Uh, all right. There, uh, there is actually one more, uh, one more uh, bit of news coming in baseball. Uh, that is that the MLB has kind of been using the uh, the independent Atlantic League, sort of as as a testing ground for a lot of different rules. I know they uh, implemented robo umps. Uh, I believe I believe last year or two years ago, something uh, to that effect. Um, 
the this past week, the MLB has announced that uh, that two new rules are going to be added to the Atlantic League. Um, one of them is that they're going to push the mound back um, by a full a full twelve inches, uh, which should which should increase hitting. And I totally understand uh, where this is coming from. Just about every single year nowadays, um, strikeout rates are, are reaching a new high. Uh, batting average is is, re- is reaching a new low, and it's just getting harder and harder uh, uh, to make contact, and especially to have balls in place that uh, that aren't home runs. So I feel like I feel like this can at, at least solve at least solve contact issue. Um, we'll make it a little a little bit a little bit harder to harder uh, uh, for for pitchers, and I feel like well, while strikeouts are are amazing to see, um, balls in play are just are just like. More exciting from from a fan's perspective. Well, obviously, yeah. You you go to the baseball unless it's a perfect game or no hitter. You know you don't really go there for the defense. You go there for the offense. But just in the past few years, you have seen home runs and hits as an all time high. I I think it's I, I I we may have to fact check on this, but I think it's mostly just uh, uh, just home runs. I think like you like you hear about like the big three that that like it, it the most at bats will either end in a walk, a home run. Uh, or a strikeout that uh, that I feel like if if you take away home runs, um, I would I would not be surprised to see that uh, that that hits were at an all time low. Yeah, we might. Fa- I know home runs is. We might have to fact check that. And if I'm wrong, Arizona missions. So at least we have that. But um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. Obviously, a big reason, a big thing the MLB is doing is simple uh, shortening their games, making the offense more more I guess expandable in a way. They want it to be more fun for people at home who aren't baseball fans. Because for you and I, we get to sit down and watch a baseball game. We've been doing that for years. But for other people, baseball is too boring. And they're trying to say, hey, how can we make this more interesting? How can we make it more fun? And offense is the way to go. We saw the Super Bowl, what was it, like three years ago, with the Rams-Patriots game. It was a phenomenal defensive game. But it was boring as shit, you know? So this is kind of a way to... To make it happen. And I guess I want to see how it goes down. I love how they do it in the Atlantic rule first. And then they get to see how, how it works in the rest. You know? It's not something that's forced right upon in the entire league. Yeah, there's actually another rule that uh, that they're that the Atlantic League is, is going to have that I feel like is, is much more interesting. And I honestly don't even know how to feel about it. Is that And that is that um, the designated hitter... Uh, will only be in effect for as long as the starting pitcher is in the game. So once the starting pitcher comes out of the game, so does the DH. So then, the, then the relief pitcher's back. And that is something that... I, I, I am someone who generally, like, is, is, a, is opposed to the DH. I'm like, it, this, is, and this is a sport, and this is not like football, where offense and defense have two separate positions. Like in other sports, in basketball, in football, in soccer, in hockey... If you you play offense, you play defense. There's no there's no going around it. You, they're both taken into account. I feel like when you can uh, sort of maneuver your way around that in baseball, it takes a little bit uh, a little bit away fr- uh, from the sort of the sort of uh, the value of, of a well-rounded player. Um, so I but um, the DH is the DH. You know, it's been something part like David Ortiz. You know, it's been something part of the game for a long time now. It's gonna be weird without it. And I get what you're saying about it, that I, it, it kind of takes away from a player, in a way, and it's kind of a little advantage that once you have a pitcher hitting and not as good, but then you can have like basically an extra hitter who specializes in hitting. But again, the DH is the DH, so I want to see how it plays out. 
Yeah, this is going to be very, very interesting. I really don't expect this to see uh, or to, to make its way uh, over to the MLB. I feel like it's one of those rules where it, where it seems like uh, uh, like like compromise for the sake of compromise. That I that I will say I would like to see uniformity, and I I do like in, ultimately in, in my in my heart of hearts believe that the universal DH um, is inevitable. Um, but I mean, this is sort of an interesting middle ground. Again, like that's really the the only word I can use for it is interesting because I really, really don't know um, what to what to think about it. I guess it's like uh, the the Super League. There's just not a there's not all the information isn't there, and we haven't seen it play out to really see yeah. how well it's going to be. I mean, the information is there. It's just in terms of like we got to see it play out yeah. in person or just in video, see it actually happen. You know, because right now just th- theorizing about it. It's not as good as seeing it actually happen during a game. At the same time, though, like I, what I will say is that I would think that this would be the other way around. That if you're going to have like the DH in only in effect for a part of the game, I would say that it's when the starting pitcher is finally out of the game. Yeah, It gives someone like mm-hmm. seven innings instead of three innings. You're getting that DH majority of the play, and I feel like the rules to take out the DH, why not just have it for fewer time, fewer, fewer parts of the game, I feel like, you know? Yeah, and I also feel like when you think about, like, because there are there are some pitchers who, who can hit. Like, I think of guys like Madison Bumgarner and uh, Jacob deGrom. Like, that he really flies a very under the radar. Yeah. Like, any, any and, and again, from New York, I, I get a lot of Mets games. Any, any any game I'll see with deGrom pitching, he'll usually have a base hit, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, like, when you when you sort of, like, I think of starting pitchers. That, that's my point, that, like, if those are, you're saying, the only pitchers that aren't going to be going to be hitting like what's the point yeah and if by saying that it really just there's this weird middle guys like so what's the point like you said you know i feel like the rule should be like when you have this, the starting pitcher plays he also has to hit once he's out you got a dh you know i feel like now it's kind of unsatisfying it's just a, this weird area of like the rules backwards yeah again i don't expect this rule to actually make its way uh over over to the majors but uh, but again, let's see if, if it yeah if it if it turns out that it that it works well um, in the Atlantic League, uh, and they think it, it has a chance to translate over. I mean, sure, why not? But like, it it's just, it just seems very very unlikely. Definitely, and only time will tell to see what happens with it. You know. Yeah. But I I love to see how it will work. I feel like it's one of those things that you have to see it to fully understand it. And just one more baseball news that Jay Bruce, I know we did talk about him signing with the Yankees this year. He he uh, retired after yesterday's game. He is a three-time All-Star, has 1,455 hits, 319 home runs, a 951 RBI, and a career of point to, uh, .244, and a .781. Just, uh, just, incredible, just an incredible career that he had and... Congratulations on your retirement, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Again, like, I, I should have brought a hat. I guess I'll tip uh, uh, my, the your hair. front of my hair. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, I mean, but, yeah. I mean, what a, just, what a career. So, hats off. Exactly. And we had a few retirements, actually, this past this past few days. Um, yeah, I think uh, a big one uh, in the NBA, which kind of, which I mean, definitely caught me off guard, uh, was Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, he had uh, he had apparently in his last game with the Nets, um, not- uh, played uh, uh, I believe either played through or noticed uh, in a regular heartbeat. 
Um, so he has decided to, to make the choice um, to retire. So, I mean, a- absolutely, like, totally understandable. Put your health above all else. Um, I mean, but uh, I'll just say, of course, a, a seven-time All-Star. I'm sure you have more stats pulled up on him. Yeah, he has uh, 19,951 19, career points, 8,478 career rebounds, seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, just a great player, and you got to put your health over it. you got to put your health over the game. That's definitely a fact, for most parts at least, because we could. We have one guy recently in the news who, who still fought it, but there's definitely a difference between a, your, a regular heartbeat, blood clots, all that stuff, and broken legs and broken bones. But he had to put his health over, and obviously no one's going to blame him for that. We hope that he does get better for his health. We hope that whatever happens, they could, they could find what it is and just actually do, uh, do something efficiently about it. But just a great career for him, and yeah. Let's go off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more, one more guy we do want, we do want to mention uh, who's decided to call it a career, uh, call it a career. Actually, just a couple hours ago at the time of recording, um, but it, but is Alex Smith. We really don't even need to, uh, to to say it again. The incredible comeback he had over the past two years since that horrific injury, um, and he he uh, when he announced his retirement, posted uh, uh, posted a video, I believe, to Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Um, go watch that if you haven't. It, 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 I mean, it touched me. Yeah, it just... He's a great guy, and that also plays with it, but it's just a t- such a terrible injury to come back of. It truly is an underdog st- uh, story. And that's why a lot of people call the comeback player of the year to be the Alex Smith Award. And that's what I called it during our award predictions episode when we first started our podcast. But just to go to the stats of it, uh, he announced... He, he was told he might die due to complications with his leg injury. His leg might have been amputated. He was told he could never he might never walk again. He had 17 surgeries and it took him 693 days to make his return to the NFL. Just hats go off to him. There's nothing more you can say about this guy. He's just great guy, great player, hell of a competitive spirit. He is the definition of a competitive guy. No, no, no. Okay. Now listen, I know that I've been lazy on uh, other times, but give me like 10 seconds. So, um, just keeping up with the stats of him, just an incredible career. I don't think that's, that's an understatement when you really think about it. He definitely was, and he's back. I'm sorry, 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 that made noise, but, uh, no, no, but I, I just had to go and actually get my hat because I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't, uh, phone this one in. I actually have to tip my hat, hat off to Alex Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Same over here, but. This competitive guy, great spirit. Nothing more can be said. Hopefully, his retirement is great. You know. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. Now, just staying on football news, and I'm gonna pronounce this guy's name right. This might be the first time I pronounce. All right. Well, he's on your team, so you better pronounce it. Jadavius, not Jadavion Clowney. Jadavion, J A D E V E O N, Vion, Jadavion Clowney. Signs with the Cleveland Browns in a one-year, ten million dollar deal. Honestly, with all the one-year deals he's signing, like he's basically becoming the Trevor Bauer of football, isn't he? He he is, but the difference, is, and also you can make the comparison because Trevor Bauer is joining one of the best pitchers, Clayton Kershaw. Dejavion Clowney is joining one of the best defensive ends with Miles Garrett. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I know you can talk about the Browns' uh, 
uh, way more than I can. But what uh, what I can tell you is that when you have two, first of all, two number one overall picks on the defense on the same defensive line. I don't know when the last time that happened was, um, but also is when you have two players that constantly need to be double teamed on the same line. Like that's already, that's already four linemen uh, who need, need to be taken up. So your numbers tell you that that all the all the third guy, little and fourth guy, needs to do is just win a one-on-one matchup. So. Exactly. If we do bring back Sheldon Richardson, which Browns, hear me out on this, we could get him for one year, five million. You know, not bad. He's a productive player. Definitely sad to see him see him get hurt, see him get cut. Fan favorite. Definitely helps with the sound lines. He's definitely gonna beat those one-on-ones. There's no doubt about it. But even if you go to Jeff. You're definitely gonna find a guy to be that one on one, and with Dan Roethlisberger getting old, calling it calling it back to the football field, trying to get that third Lombardi, it's gonna to be tough for not just him, but for almost any quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, the two former first number one overall picks, two of the hardest hitting players in the NFL. I don't think that's an understatement to say that. I mean, Miles Garrett, for also other reasons. Oh yeah, I wasn't gonna go there. Well, I was gonna go there. It happened, you know. But yeah, it's good. It's definitely gonna be fun to see the Browns. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure more more so you for me. Uh, more so for you than me. That's how the phrase goes. Um, well, I mean, those Browns Bills games are gonna be fun now. Even more fun when that happens. Uh yeah, definitely. I actually don't think they actually they play this season. But hey, playoffs. Yeah, AFC Championship game. Let, let's make it happen. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we there are there are a couple stories uh, coming out uh, in the NBA uh, this past week. Uh, one of them is uh, Mavericks owner Mark Cuban uh, has has uh, been criticizing the uh, the NBA's uh, sort of uh, playoff format this year. Um, now, as uh, uh, they they uh, debated about in the bubble last year and implemented this year, uh, a twenty team playoff temper conference uh, seeds seven through ten um, sort of before the before the playoffs proper start. Um, we'll have sort of a, a couple of games um, uh, again to to play in uh, to decide who who takes these these actual seven uh, and eight seeds. Um, and what I will say is that I agree, but probably not for the same reasons. Um, just a heads up where I'm coming from. Um, I am uh, first of all a Chicago Bulls fan who are currently the 11 seed in the East, so their only shot really uh, is making it through the play-in tournament. Um, but all, but more so, I guess just uh, just a, uh, someone who, if you uh, looked at our playoff video, someone who thinks that that the playoffs in the NBA and the NHL and the expanded MLB playoffs last year um, are just very bloated. That the 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 mid tier five hundred teams shouldn't even be in the playoffs in the first place. So I feel like expanding it to literally two thirds of all teams just doesn't make a lot of sense. Do I think Mark Cuban shares that same sentiment? No. Why do I think that? Because the Mavericks were the seven seed last year, and if I'm not mistaken, they're also the seven seed uh, right now. Yeah, and obviously you want to see your team get in the playoffs. And with someone like Mark Cuban, who's definitely one of the best owners by the fans in the NBA, and is on Shark Tank, so he's getting more publicity than that, you would want to expand your brand, because at the end of the day, the Mavericks are his brand. So I could see why he's doing it, but we both said this that the playoffs seem to expand it. It doesn't seem like the best of the best of the year. It just seems like it's the most passable of the year, you know? It doesn't seem like it's an actual shot of the best of the best players that team. And you're just kind of... You would rather have more games. 
And you'd rather have more mediocre teams than have better teams actually play. And yeah, it's going to be shorter. It won't last as long. But it's like watching the earlier March Madness games, you know? They're not the best teams playing in it. They're just kind of those toss-away games so you could have a full tournament. That's kind of what this NBA thing could be. I think we both said this before, but playoffs should be about the best teams of the year. It shouldn't be about the most passable or the most tolerable teams of the year. It's the best of the year competing against each other. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime, like even when you have eight teams, especially when you have ten, when you are making it so statistically likely that a team that didn't even win half of their games is, has the same path to the championship that, that the best teams in the league do, it, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense um, at all. Uh, but one, one other bit of news uh, was that Dwayne Wade uh, has bought, uh, bought a stake in the Utah Jazz. Yeah, and he actually wants to have a hands-on part in that stake. We don't know what that means yet. Maybe he'll just be maybe kind of like a GM. Maybe he'll be like a player's coach. We don't know what it's going to mean. But the G- Yeah, but, no, no, go ahead. No, the Jazz. I don't know. I wasn't saying good for him for that thing. He's definitely, you know, one of those guys who I could see doing this role. He's going to do it efficiently, obviously, just, cause of the per- just because of the player he was and the person he is today. He's definitely going to kill that role. But the Jazz is my only thing that's weird. Yeah, about. of course. Like, when you think of Dwayne Wade, you think of my, the Miami Heat. He has, of course, made a statement um, sort of on, uh, on why he chose uh, to, to invest in the Jazz not the, uh, and not the Heat. Um, he says, and I quote, uh, The respect that I have for the organization will not go anywhere. The love that I have for the fans, that goes nowhere. But this is about the next phase of my life as an investor, a businessman, an entrepreneur. For me, this is an opportunity to grow. And I feel like, I, like, again, while I'm not in a situation, um, I can sort of understand from the outsider's, outsider's perspective, uh, sort of both sides of it, that, um, that, uh, that, of course, you go back to, like, 2016, 2017, uh, there was that sort of bit of falling out with, uh, with the Heat organization, uh, of course, why you had the, that stint uh, in Chicago and Cleveland, um, and then finally found his way back to Miami. So I guess there's, there sort of has been a little bit of uh, tension with, uh, with ownership there. And then, of course, as far as, as far as the Jazz, I mean, first of all, they are uh, one of the best teams uh, in the NBA right now, top of the West uh, by a game and a half. Yeah, and that West is bloated. I mean, you got the Lakers and Clippers. You have the Suns. You have the, Trail- you have the Maverick. Who, yeah, this year haven't been going good, but still the Maverick. You have the Trailblazers. You got a lot of great teams. that the Raptors, who I know they did lose a lot of talent. They haven't been playing good this year, to say. Um, buddy. Oh, wait, is that the East? Toronto. Is in the East. Yes, I forgot. And Tampa, where they're playing this year. But that's, uh, oh, that gets us into... Uh, Arizona Missions, number two. Uh, no, I was going to say that gets us into our favorite segment. We're still in a pandemic, because we still are. Yeah, we um, are. Yeah, let me just brush on this, because fortunately there isn't a whole lot uh, of uh, bad news this week. Uh, I, w- I, w- I would like to start with some good news on this front, though. Uh, is that the Vancouver Canucks, after... Nearly a month of not playing, uh, finally had uh, had their first game um, just yesterday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they won uh, in overtime, so again, good to see them back on the ice. Good to see that that, uh, that outbreak is done with, and hopefully uh, nothing like that happens again. And then just a minor bit of news as far as the Minnesota Twins, uh, their game uh, just today uh, against uh, the Oakland Athletics. Uh, was postponed uh, d- uh, due to COVID, um, has been rescheduled, and I, I'm pretty sure, though, um, they, are, they are set for a doubleheader 
uh, tomorrow. Yeah, obviously great to see the Canucks back in action. I know it's been a long time since that. I still think the NHL should have done something differently, but hey, it worked out hopefully for the best. Hopefully they learned their lessons and know what to do for the next time. And with the Twins, I, I mean, they're going to play tomorrow, like you said, doubleheader. I don't think this could be, a, it might turn to a major thing, but it's very unlikely. But it's just interesting to have everyone back. Thank God, like, nothing ma- major happened again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, and as, of course, we do want to always end on a good note. Um, how about just a reminder of why we love baseball? If you have not seen Do- the Dodgers-Padres series from this weekend, what are you doing? Yeah, and just to explain the games, three words. Oh. My. God. Yeah, I mean... There's no three better words to explain this. I would be fine if the MLB just does this for the rest of the year, you know? I would yeah. love to see more games of Padres-Dodgers. Well, I mean, it's like like we, like we I know I said like the, pretty much all the offseason, give me all of the Dodgers-Padres. These first three games have absolutely not disappointed. Um, game one was a, a back and forth. Um, offensive showdown. Like I know, I know, I was I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to watch that uh, uh, that one uh, that one live. Um, be sort of like every every time every time you think, oh yeah, that's gonna be the go ahead run. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, and then of course, uh, if that one goes into I believe uh, th- uh, twelve or thirteen innings. Forget offhand um, that uh, this the final score eleven to six um, is a lot more lopsided than the game uh, actually was. Um, game two was a lot more, a lot different, an absolute pitcher's duel um, between uh, between uh, what's his face, Clayton Kershaw, uh, and Yu Darvish. Um, game ends, by the way, uh, with uh, with run- with runners on second and third, and a diving catch made. Maybe the best catch this year. It, I, I could tell that a top five catch in MLB history, and I wouldn't complain with you. No, it's just a regular season game. Let's keep that in mind. But it has the intensity of the playoffs. Um, that that's what's so amazing about it. And even uh, uh, this third game, while while uh, not as as exciting um, as the first two, was still was still uh, was still fun to uh, to to look at the highlights at least. Um, uh, Eric Cosmer, the hero in that one, delivering uh, game tying and go ahead runs, uh, indifferent at bats. So uh, I mean, man, this was just a fun series all around. Uh, to watch, I'm sure it was uh, uh, was was fun to be there. Can't imagine what that was like. Um, the benches did clear multiple times. I, I should also uh, throw that out there. Yeah, and also, if you want to get in baseball, watch the highlights of these three games. In game one, the benches did clear. There was a ninth inning comeback, and a game-winning home run by Corey Seager in the twelfth. Game two was Clayton Kershaw and Jerkinson Profar. They had some beef, and Mookie Betts. I still think it's the catch of the year. You know, I just think that catch is amazing. In Game 3, Trevor Bauer versus Blake Snell, the two new guys on the block. Eighth inning comeback by the Padres. Game-winning hit by Eric Hosmer. Just incredible. I w- I- Padres-Dodgers, give me more. Well, we have 16 more games of that, and I will look forward to every single one of them. But let's end on that good note here. Thank you so much for listening to us. And bearing with us, uh, we don't know how often we'll do these. Uh, we'll try to get you, uh, these up uh, the day after they're recorded, um, probably two to three times a week. 
Um, these do go up to Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or something you want us to talk about, uh, you can leave a comment down below on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter, or uh, any of our socials. Uh, or send us an email at number two, fanspodcast at gmail.com. Any last words, Ari? Uh, not really. Just, it's going to be a, hey, it's gonna be a n- great few weeks in sports. Yeah, it certainly will be. And until next time, we will talk to you then.